In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. A number of years ago, Cardinal Ratzinger wrote a famous book called The Spirit of the Liturgy, in which he reflected very deeply on the nature of the liturgy, in particular on the nature of the Holy Mass. And he had been influenced very, very heavily by a famous German theologian whose name was Romano Guardini, who wrote his book, a book of the same name, The Spirit of the Liturgy, in 1918. And that book is a really very profound reflection on the nature of liturgical worship and really still stands as a guiding light for today's renewal of the liturgy, renewal of prayer in the Holy Mass. He writes it in very poetic terms and and helps to clarify the underlying principles and the existential implications of our belief in the real presence in the Holy Eucharist. Especially when you come here half-dazed in the early morning and maybe you're half-asleep still and you come here and you realize you're at the root and center of your interior life participating in this act of worship. It's and yet it's not an act that is just an isolated act in your day or even just a good thing about your own piety. It really is something that involves all the people of God and of course something very supernatural. When we come to the Holy Mass, we are interconnected with all the people of God. Not only with all the people of God now, living now, but those who are being purified in purgatory, those who have come before us as well in history, and those who are already in heaven, and even those that are to come in the future that don't even exist yet, at least not on this earth yet. And when we assist at Mass, and this is part of what Cardinal Ratzinger comes to articulate in a very careful way in his, uh, in his book, when we are taking part in something that is not simply an act, but something more of a process that is under development, under construction, arriving at the process of fulfillment. It's kind of when you're, you're like when you're going in the city, you see cranes here and there, and then if you go and follow that crane, you look, and then it's it's a big building with just the scaffolding maybe or external structure, and there's cranes and there's trucks going in and out and workers, and and they're building something and. 
well, you don't know what it's going to look at if you go to Young Street there and uh, and Bloor. There's a massive building that they're building now, and you can see it's going to be huge. And they're sometimes putting down the foundation uh, stones and so forth, and a big hole there, right? So you can. They're not finished, obviously. No, they're building something huge, and uh, it's quite striking. I've seen old footage of the building of the of the of the World Trade Center when whenever it was in the 1970s they were building that and putting together the structure right and, and you see workers there high up uh, with these cranes and so forth and bringing together these massive beams which well we know now obviously came crashing down on 9-11 and you and I when we go to mass we are part of a mysterious historical existential mystical and spiritual process of fulfillment and what does that mean how do we understand that naturally it's a big mystery so there's a lot we won't fully understand but well, that's, that's what Cardinal Ratzinger is so good at Like he's very good at, at helping us to understand something that is really quite mysterious right? The, but the process that we are involved in in, in this building process all started with the worship in the temple in in the Old Testament. You know, you'll remember yesterday it was we celebrated the the feast of the dedication of Saint John the Lateran, right? So that's the Cathedral of Rome, the original Cathedral of the Popes, which was there until until whatever the 15th century or so, and then there were some fires and. Then they tried to rebuild it, but eventually the popes, uh, you know, started to live in the Vatican. But, but in that feast, we saw how the Lord went into the temple, and he saw the chaos and the upheaval and the pigeons, and and he started to chase out the money changers, uh, because this was meant to be the the, the temple, a, a quiet place of worship the place where God dwells, but all these people were doing all kinds of other things that didn't correspond to the, what the purpose of the temple was. And here was our Lord, who is ultimately the fulfillment of that temple. That temple that he walked into was only a foreshadowing of himself. Just as when he walked into the temple and he saw the widow putting money into the treasury, he was watching it from the periphery, from the side. And it's ironic that he himself is the ultimate fulfillment of that temple. The very presence of God on earth was in that temple. And so that's why the church fathers, as, as Cardinal Ratzinger describes, the church fathers describe the various stages of fulfillment, not just the contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but as what they describe as the three steps of shadow, image, and reality. Shadow, image, and reality. So in the church of the New Testament, the shadow has been scattered by the image. It's... Uh, like St. Paul says to the Romans, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. Uh, 
But as St. Gregory the Great, whom we celebrate today, puts it, it is only the time of dawn when darkness and light are intermingled. The time of dawn, right, the sun is about to rise, it's dawn. There, darkness and light are intermingled, he says. The sun is rising, but it has still not reached its zenith. And thus the time of the New Testament is a peculiar time or a peculiar kind of in-between, a mixture of already and not yet. It was already in the sense that our Lord in His incarnation has arrived, but it is not yet insofar as the fullness of God who is in heaven and our vision of this is not, has not yet fully been realized. The, the, the resurrection hasn't been fully realized. Our resurrection hasn't been fully year, realized. And so here on this earth, we have this notion that we are in between and we are not yet in God. In other words, we're still on our way. We're still like those men building that, that building with the scaffolding and the, and the ropes and the trucks and the... And this is what gives the liturgy form. And it becomes even clearer when we bear in mind the three levels on which uh, Christian worship uh, operates. The three levels that make it what it is. There's the middle level, the strictly liturgical level, which is familiar to us and is revealed in the words and the actions of, of Jesus in the Last Supper. You know, he taught us, do this in memory of me. You know, do this, do this. What I'm doing now, do that. And that's what we're doing every day at the Holy Mass. We're doing the things he asked us to do in memory of him. And these words and these actions really form the core of the liturgical celebration, which was uh, further constructed out of the synthesis of the liturgical ceremonies of the temple, and the temple liturgies. So a lot of things that we do today have their origins in the temple, the, the, you know, the, the, the Jewish temple. And then, we, because they, they had the sacrificial actions in the temple, but those have all been replaced by the Eucharistic prayer, and which enters into what Jesus did at the, at the Last Supper. And uh, he did this by the consecration of the gifts. Okay, so there's, there's something of the Last Supper when we assist at Mass. There's something of the Old Testament worship. There's something, elements there, but they are replaced by the, by the Eucharistic prayer. But the Last Supper, in and of itself, the Last Supper is, is, is not really enough because there are gestures, things that we do in, in the Mass that seem to recall the Last Supper. But it's not, like a, it's not like a videotape of the Last Supper or kind of mere acting out of what Jesus did or even much less of a 3D hologram of the Last Supper. If you want to do that, you can watch a movie, you can do a play and you know, act out the Last Supper. Right? But the Last Supper in and of itself 
right, cannot stand on its own. If all we had here in the Mass were to try to like redo what Jesus did there with his apostles, like like you would see that painting of Leonardo with Jesus and, and the apostles and then Judas, you know, turning back and everybody he's just revealed to them that one of you will betray me and you know, maybe we could do that. We're all you know, we're all doing that and we're like Judas going you know you know, moving around and <laughs> you know. But that's not what we're doing. Well, I hope we're not doing that exactly. No? <laughs> mm. The Last Supper cannot stand. It, it would be, as Cardinal Ratzinger said, it would be a large banknote, but without funds to support it. I mean, I could write a check right now for $100,000 to Lincroft, and I'd give it to you. Here's a $100,000 check. Well, it would go boing. It would just totally bounce because I don't have those funds. As far as I know, I don't have those funds in my bank account, right? And so we could make the most incredible act, acting out of the Last Supper, and it could look very real, but it would just bounce. This is what he, he explains in very powerful words. He said, the Lord could say that his body was given. He says, this is my body given for you. You know, he says that. He could only say that his body was, quote, given only because he had in fact given it. He could present his blood in the new chalice as shed for many only because he had really had shed it. says, this is my body, which has been given out to me. This is my blood. Yeah, but he was right there. He was, what do you mean your blood? This is, he was right there with them. He hadn't shed his blood yet. Not yet. This body, the Cardinal says, Cardinal Ratzinger says, this body is not the ever dead corpse of a dead man, nor is the blood, the life element rendered lifeless. no, Sacrifice has become gift for the body given in love and the blood given in love has entered through the resurrection into the eternity of love which is stronger than death. Without the cross and the resurrection Christian worship is null and void. And theology a theology of liturgy that omitted any reference to them would really just be talking about an empty game. So we always have some reference to the cross, some reference to the resurrection. Indeed, I think you could say that even all you did was talk about the, the cross and not make reference to the resurrection, in some ways it would be yeah, pretty much an empty game too. You know, somebody, somebody asked me, some time ago, you know, well, you know, we say we, you, we eat our, your body, you drink your blood, and they said, well, they, they have Protestants friends, and they said that, you know, that's, isn't that cannibalism? You know, isn't that cannibalism? And, and sometimes you do have to be careful with children, you know, when you tell them, little children, you know, that's, we're eating the body and blood, and they, they get kind of panicked by that, right? And uh, what you have to say is that, yeah, but it's, it's not the dead body, we're not like, you know, munching on a 
piece of the arm uh, you know it's the living risen body of Jesus and the whole body it's not just like a piece it's the entire living body as it is resurrected in heaven now and that's a union with Christ that's why we, you know the priest he has to make sure all the particles are are purified he purifies the chalice because in each particle there is the whole body of Christ just as much as in there, there is in the large host and uh, well maybe it's a hard idea to wrap our head around but um, he also says that the crucifixion of Christ his death on the cross and in another way the act of the resurrection from the grave which bestows incorruptibility on the corruptible are historical events that happen just once and as such belong to the past right? so the other thing he says here that is maybe difficult to wrap your head around like the idea that the cross that just happened once the resurrection happened just once and of course the letter to the Hebrews says that it happened once and for all against the multitude of sacrifices of the Old Testament that the people would bring in all kinds of animals to be sacrificed again and again and again you know and uh, so so how do we reach back to that one cross and that one resurrection how do we reach back in time you know, is it just a memory? How do we reach back? He says, the exterior act, he says, of being crucified, so you picture Jesus now on the cross, and that was one act. I mean, there was just a certain amount of acts of nails and, and you know, all that stuff that he suffered and the crown of thorns. You know, this was not an eternal act. But, as the Cardinal Ratzinger says, it is accompanied by an interior act of self-giving. Which he said when he said, this is my body which is given up for you. No one takes my life from me, says the Lord in St. John's Gospel, but I lay it down of my own accord. And that's why, you know, he said... uh, as he was about to die, he didn't die from exhaustion. He didn't die from I don't know, no blood or you know all those things that that you would uh, an aut- autopsy would reveal. He died from this and died from died from that or whatever you would say. And whenever somebody has died, they can tell you asphyxiation or or this or that. But he laid down his life. So he said, "Into thy hands I commend my spirit." And he said, I think I'll die right now. And then he died, you know. Like we can't decide to tell our soul, I think you, you should go now. I think you should go. Just just leave, okay? Please, please. You know, we have to do something to ourselves and then we don't, we don't really have absolute control. I mean, we can jump off a building and we'll die, of course, but... Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess sounds it feels like we have control, but you know we could also survive in some miraculous way. But uh, but he just decided at what point, like it is enough, it is accomplished, it's done. And of course, he said yes to that pain. He said yes to that uh, 
the blood and the, and the horrors of the crucifixion that took place in time. And so it combines the external act of pain and the internal act of self-giving. So that means that we have received something from the past, but we are also, we become contemporaries with him, as we say. And that's why we say that the liturgy is really uh, the root and center of our, our life, you know, because it makes possible this mysterious intertwining between a past event and a present event. The past event is the crucifixion. It happened once and for all. We can represent it all we want. But the present moment event is the event of him giving himself up for you and for me. In other words, the crucifixion is a past event. Even the resurrection is a past event. But it has far-reaching power. And it's kind of coming into the present now. And... Uh, it, in its turn, is an anticipation of what is to come. That's why the Lord appears there with his, you know, with this, with the, with the wounds that are cleaned up. He still has the wounds. It's the same body. All this to say is that, of course, the, the crucifixion. Well, it's, it's a deep mystery, and and the and the Holy Mass, of course, is a deep mystery. How it's related to the re- resurrection. And uh, we can ask our Lord uh, to pray that, well, we ask our, our Blessed Mother, she'll intercede for us so that the Holy Sacrifice really reach its tentacles into our present life. And that requires an act of faith and some form of struggle. And the way we assist at Mass, St. Josemaria said in the Forge, Keep struggling so that the holy sacrifice of the altar really becomes the center and root of your interior life. And so your whole day will turn into an act of worship, an extension of the Mass you have attended and a preparation for the next. Your whole day will then be an act of worship that overflows in aspirations, visits to the Blessed Sacrament, and the offering up of your professional work and your family life. See, that's interesting. The, the offering up, the offering up of your time the offering up of a headache, the offering up of your work. This is because that's what, uh, that's what our Lord did on the cross. He offered himself up fully. And that's kind of like what's reaching us here. And some mysterious way we can get connected. That's why we say it's the center and root. It's, it's an expression that comes out of the Second Vatican Council. And the Second Vatican Council actually said source and summit, center and root. I mean, I don't know if there's a big difference, but uh, meaning you have the source of grace there, our Lord Himself, but also we have in the Mass the summit of our closeness to God here on earth in this in-between time. Right? In this in-between time. We are in between. We're like at dawn when it's still the darkness and it's the light. And of course, the fullness will be when we are with our Lord you know, forever in heaven. Then, then we'll have the fullness. That's, you know, there's the foreshadowing, the in-between time, and then like total seeing God face to face. That's like, you know, blinded by the light. I mean, that'll be... And that's why Pope Francis says that it is the way to keep living faith alive from one generation to the generation. It's not just information. It's like, like you would keep in a book, 
but the living flame of faith. And this is particularly the case of, you know, of the Holy Mass. And maybe we're slow sometimes, maybe we're distracted, maybe our heart is not entirely there. And uh, we can ask ourselves, well, how do I prepare myself for Holy Mass to receive Him? We don't have to be necessarily passionate or emotional about it, but, you know, do I do it with love? Do I strive to keep my senses clean? Do I adorn my souls? Is there my soul? My soul. Do I act with piety? Do I am I conscious of the tabernacle throughout the day? And um, well, we go. We can pray to the intercession of Bishop Alvaro. It's it's really quite a, an astounding thing when you think about it that he who had such a you know reverence for the mass that he celebrated his ma- his last mass in the cenacle. Of course, he didn't say you know I'd like to celebrate my last mass in the cenacle. You know, he, he didn't know that it was going to be his last mass. You know, he had no clue. You know, he said you know I'm not feeling well. It would be good that I celebrated my last mass in the cenacle. You know, I told this to a friend uh, recently. Uh, that his last mass was in the synagogue, he said, oh my God, Father, he's going directly to heaven. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, that's probably true, you know. (laughs) And there's that famous picture of him, you know. You know, he was in the place where our Lord instituted the Eucharist. And he did it with such love, with such devotion. He was moved, he was energized, he was alive. He was happy to receive that grace. He was on, like, totally on, like, he was on fire. You, nobody would have thought, you know, he's going to die. Now he's going to die, you know. But that night, after a trip, arrives in Rome and has a heart attack. It's truly like Simeon, who says, well, I've seen the Lord, and then you can let me go, you know. And Simeon took the child in his hand and said, Nunc dimitis tuum domine. Now you can let yourself go. Now I can die. I'm good. He'd received the grace to see the Savior and said, Lord, now you can let your servant go in peace. Don Avro was physically old, but inwardly he was very vibrant and young. Inwardly, inwardly. He was slow physically, but he was renewed, renewed by that love that he had put in the Eucharist. I pray that you and I never never cease to put love in the Eucharist, that we will be there, that we discover that world, that world of grace, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a place where we can draw our energies, uh, our vision, our, our moral and spiritual strength, our supernatural vision, a source of fervor, uh, a, a poetic <coughs> vision, if you like. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you hear bad news on the phone, well, you go go to the to the chapel. You, know, you hear if you ever hear get a phone call like that. I got bad news for you. I got bad news for you. And then your knees start to tremble, you know. And uh, well, you had to go. You got to go to the tabernacle so so you can stand up. And or if you've been humiliated in some way, you know, you did something wrong. You you blew up something, and you know, the whole kitchen is on fire. I don't know, you know. 
go. You say, well, we don't have a kitchen anymore. What can you do? <laughs> we'll just go to McDonald's. It's okay. I know some people who love McDonald's, so, you know. So, in other words, we'll get a lot out of Mass, and our Blessed Mother will help to intercede for us. She'll help us to, to bring this about. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me. In this meditation, I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.